Good to see you guys on the first Sunday of the year. So you made it. 2020 is in your rear view. As everyone's been saying, hindsight is actually 2020 for the first time ever. Which I know that was lame, but you know, I had to had to do something there. So, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of announcements or anything like that today. We'll have a bunch next Sunday. We've got a, a few things going on. Um, I'm just stalling until my computer boots up, actually. So, I mean, if I didn't have a computer, I would go for a long, I would preach for a long time, actually. So, my notes keep me within a certain time frame. Sometimes. Sometimes. Not all the time. All right. So, what a year. I have no idea if 21 is going to be any better. I actually, I'm, I'm good no matter what happens. So uh, God's, God's got this, right? So I'm not going to worry about it. Um, you know, though, last year was a, was a year with a lot of, a lot of criticism. I, would, I mean, uh, th- it was the most interesting year to be a, a pastor ever. I'm just saying, no matter what you did, some people loved it and some people hated it, which is normal. It's just that there were changes every single week. You know, you were like... We're meeting. Oh, no, we're not meeting. We're wearing masks. Oh, no, we're not wearing masks. We hate masks. We love masks. And on and on and on the duel went. Um, One of the things that um, I get, and this is just by way of introduction to kind of of bring us into a place where we can uh, look forward to something, but as a pastor, I get a lot of complaints about the church. There's my quotation marks, the church. And, and, of course, last year was a big the church year. The church ought to do this and the church ought to do that. But the thing is that the church is led by people who have no idea what they're doing 96.4% of the time. They're just like, God, help us not mess this up, you know. And um, so I, as I was getting ready for this message, I, I, I thought I would just address that. It would be a good thing to do it. To, to kind of point this out, because a lot of folks go like, what is wrong with the church? She's too harsh. She's too soft. She doesn't take a stand for truth. She doesn't love. Uh, she, she's, she does, she's not compassionate enough. She's too compassionate. On and on and on and on. Go. So I thought I would tell you what was wrong with the church. You ready? Nothing. Nothing. And here, I've got a biblical basis for it. You ready? Here we go. Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. The church may not look like she one day will be, but Jesus has his church well in hand. Jesus has his church. Now you, on the other hand, He also has well in hand because you are part of his church. And what we need to realize as Christians is that when we were saved and embraced by the pursuit of God, the love of Christ and the realization of grace, that we were at that moment born to outgrow this life. Do you understand that? We talk about personal growth, I'm talking about supernatural growth. A kind of growth that prepares you for something far beyond your wildest hope. Something far better. And so we are all on a journey to outgrow this life. And it's like there's a Elevation Worship's doing a a song right now, and I can't remember the title, but there's a line that says, I know you're not done with me because I'm not dead yet. 
So one of these days you're going to shake off this flesh, this house of clay, whatever you want to call it, and you are going to advance, level up into a new life. So that leads us into our hymn for today, uh, which is by a guy named Albert Brumley. So Albert Brumley was born in 1905 in Spiro, Oklahoma. Spiro, Oklahoma. Spiro, Oklahoma is a big town in Oklahoma. It has a sonic and a stoplight. And I'm assuming that Spiro, Oklahoma deals with tornadoes because it ends in the word Oklahoma. So 1905, a a very difficult time in America, as many times throughout our history have been. He started at about five years of age, helping his family by chopping cotton, uh, taking a hoe and hacking the weeds out of cotton, uh, to provide for the family income. My parents started out their young life that way. In a time when uh, the entire family worked together to keep the entire family afloat. Uh, I, I grew up with a, some advantages. My parents handed me a hoe at 11 instead of 6. So I, I feel privileged <clears throat> in that regard. And then uh, they let me keep all the money I made and use it on clothes and tithe. And that was all there was. And so that was how our life started. So Albert Brumley lost a brother to typhoid fever when he was very young. Six, seven years of age. He wrote the, the hymn, I'll Fly Away, in his early college days. But when he was interviewed about it, he said that the inspiration from the hymn actually came from the loss of his brother. And what, what I want you to see is that there is a time in our history, and there have always been many times in the history of the world, when people realized that the next life was better than the one they were in. That they didn't have hope that this life would provide everything they wanted. I shared a passage last week from Paul who said that if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the, wor- in the world. And so there, we just didn't realize those first century believers, they had their hope in the future more than in the now. I'm not saying they didn't trust God for the nasty now and now, as I like to call it. But they had the hope for the sweet by and by. And so when I think of I'll Fly Away, I think of another hymn born out of pain and out of loss. And yet, it's such a fun hymn. I I, I love that hymn. I I think I had a song director, because that's what they were 30 years ago. Worship leaders were called song directors, who made us flap our arms during that song one time. And I hope Steve never does that, but I I shouldn't have gave him the idea. I mean, song leaders used to really love to humiliate the audience, and Steve, not so much yet, anyway. So, as I get into today's material, I want to tell you my source. My source is the Bible. Now, when I say the Bible, I don't know what goes through your mind. The older I get, the more I realize I know less and less about what people think. So... A lot of people think the Bible is one source, and I guess at its root, it is one source. But with the Bible that you hold in your hand, or you look at it in the app on your phone, however you connect with and engage with the Bible, is not a book, it's a library of books. It's 66 books 
written by over 40 different writers over a period of 1,500 years. So when I talk about my source, I'm not referencing a book. I'm referencing a library that I do believe anchors back to one author written through 40 different guys who worked like a pen in his hand. And so that's my source. Actually, that's my source for everything in life. If I want to know how marriage should work, I go to my source. If I have questions about finances, I go to my source. But I for sure, when I have uncertainties about the future, I definitely go to my source. Why? Of those 66 books, only four don't have prophecies in them. 62 books in the Bible have some kind of prophetic word or another. Isn't it interesting that the anchor and source of our faith is so much embedded in the prophetic? Now, what gives me a lot of comfort about this reality is how much of what's been prophesied in there I've already seen happen. Jesus Christ, for example. There's the biggest prophecy, in fact, the, the prophecies we're talking about today are also about him. But the biggest prophecy of the Bible is about Jesus. The Bible prophesied hundreds of years before he got here that Jesus would be born of a virgin, that he'd be born in Bethlehem, that he'd descend from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he'd ride to Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, which he did, that he'd be rejected, that he'd be betrayed, that he would be silent before his accusers, he would be condemned, he would be crucified beside criminals. He'd be given vinegar to drink. His hands and feet would be pierced. None of his bones would be broken. They would fight over his garments. And he would give his life. Then he would resurrect from the dead. And then he would be put, I mean, before he resurrected from the dead, never mind. Then he would ascend on high. I don't want to, I'd stumble over my words there. So all of that was prophesied before Jesus came. Well, here's, here's a bit of news you need to know. There are five times more prophecies about Jesus' return, second coming, than there were about his first coming. Okay? Five times. So the same Bible that, that filled you in on what Jesus Christ was going to do also fills us in on what Jesus Christ is going to do. So now we get into this, this hymn, I'll Fly Away. You know the words we just sang them. Some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home. On God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. When the shadows of this life have gone, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars has flown, I will fly away. Jesus is coming back. We talked about it a lot last year, and I want to start the year on this reality. I want us to, to stop expecting this life to give us peace and satisfaction and hope. I want us to see beyond this life. I want you to live for the other side of your tombstone, beyond what you think. I want you to live with an expectation and a hope, with an urgency, but also with a hope that Jesus is coming back. So the Bible writes in John 14, Jesus said this to us, to his church, Do, don't let your hearts be troubled. Man, you should know this verse. You should write it down. John 14, 1 through 3 is an amazing source of comfort, guys. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust, you, trust in God and trust also in me. 
There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. How many of you in this room consider yourself a Christian? Just say yes out loud. A lot of Christians in this room. Now, in our world today, do you think that the, the term Christian, don't, don't, don't respond just yet, do you think that the term Christian is received positively or negatively? If you say positively, say yes. If you say negatively, say yes. Okay. Things are right back to where they were when it started. You see, they call the believers, the followers of Jesus, Christians first in Antioch. You read about in Acts. It was not a label of honor. You didn't go around, no one ran for office with Christian underneath there. Christian Republican. That didn't happen. When you took on the label of Christian, you took on the risk, at least, and the likelihood, often, that you were going to lose some things. Your reputation to begin with. Possibly your business or your trade and your means of income. You might lose all of your possessions. You might lose your family. And you might lose your life. First century, as Christianity's blowing out of Jerusalem and entering the Greek world at Antioch, that's what it meant to, took on, to take on the name, the label, Christian. And here's what you need to ask yourself. Why would anyone do that? Why would you risk your livelihood? Why would you risk your family? Why would you do any of that? And and you have to ask yourself if people will be willing to do that today going forward. And here's why. Are you ready? Because Jesus is coming back. Someone came to them and showed them a truth, the truth, that Jesus Christ had come, had died for them, paid the wages for their sins, and made a way for them to live in relationship with Father God. And that that same Jesus would come again and take them back to their Father God in heaven. That was the message. So when people received that message, and they began to live in that message, because you can't receive a message and not live in it, then when that happened, their hope was transferred from wealth and comfort and acceptance and popularity in this life to hope and strength and acceptance by Father God in the next life. Do you see? So they were living for for the next life. So Christianity began on the hope that Jesus is coming back. So they had a code word. There was a code word in the first century that's making a comeback. And that word was Maranatha. And it means, even so come, Lord Jesus. And here's how the code word worked. A Christian would be under it. They would be being persecuted, or they would suffer because they are following Jesus. And here's the thing. Early Christianity realized, and Christianity today is soon to learn, that we desperately need each other. And so a Christian is going through it, and they're losing things, and they're suffering, and they love Jesus. And then 
a brother or sister in Christ would come alongside them in their life and they would whisper that word, Maranatha. Even so come, Lord Jesus. It means Christ came the first time, as the Bible said, and Christ is coming the second time, which the Bible also said times five. Jesus is coming again. You see, we, we look at this hymn and we think about the return of Jesus Christ, and that's where our hope has to go. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, The Lord Himself... I like this passage. It's a good passage. This was a word that Paul gave to encourage the Thessalonians, and it was so encouraging that they packed up their stuff to leave immediately. So... <laughs> For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Let's stop right there. Who doesn't want to be parked next to a cemetery on that day? I mean, really. I mean, I, I would like to be driving by Rock Spring Cemetery, you know, that blip of a second there, to see those graves blow open and those believers come flying out of the ground. Or out by Memorial. I mean, I think that, I mean, maybe not you, but I think it would be very, very cool. <laughs> so Jesus is coming back and everyone who's passed on, their bodies are going to get resurrected. And then the Bible goes on and talks about something else. And so verse 17, it says, And then together with them... So if you are driving by the cemetery and you get that blip second to see those graves blow open, get ready, you're about to get sucked out of the car. Hope, hopefully someone else is driving or maybe not. So I guess you don't care. You're like, not my problem, I'm out of here. <laughs> then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. What a passage. So this, when you hear Christians talk about the term the rapture, this is the verse they're referencing. It's when God, it's, it's, it means the snatching away. And, and so Jesus is coming back and he's going to snatch all of his believers together. Now, I, uh, of course, grew up, I was a child in the 70s, a teenager in the 80s, and all of these end times movies were coming out. I bet some of you remember some of them. And I don't know what the deal was, but there was this thing in, in those 70s movies where they, when people got raptured out for the movie, they left all their clothes behind. And I thought that was weird. I asked my pastor about it, and he had an answer, but it didn't ring true. I guess he said God doesn't need our clothes. I don't know. But have you ever wanted, maybe this is just a pastor thing. I don't know. Michael, where are you? Have you ever wanted to just, everyone bring an extra set of clothes one Sunday, and the guy who always falls asleep falls asleep, and then everyone quietly lays their clothes on the chairs and sneaks out of the room. And then someone blows a trumpet. <laughs> okay, yes, I know it's a preacher prank. I know only people who know about this would get it. But for just a second, it would be so hilarious to do all this. So I do want to say something before I move on to this about the rapture. I want to remind you to be very, very humble about your view of end times. It's very important. 
I'm afraid that there are people who have a very rigid view of end times who could lose their faith if it doesn't work out the way they say. And so you need to know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious scholars of Jesus' day had a very rigid view of how how the end times were supposed to go, and because of it, they missed Jesus. So maintain a humility about your views of end times, and if you ever hear the word eschatology, that's what it means. They're talking about end times, okay? So when it comes to the rapture, we know, Jesus, we know without the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is coming to snatch us away in a good way. Not like your mother when you were young and she snatched you up, not like that. In a good way, snatch us up, all right? So the rapture is coming. Matthew 24 says this. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you two must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. This is not science fiction This is supernatural fact. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, the opportunity to follow him ends, in a way. To trust in this period of grace changes in some way. And so, even though I look forward to the return of Christ, his imminent return, I also have some dread. Because there are a lot of people that I love that have yet to trust Jesus. Yet to follow Jesus Christ. Now, if you are like, if this is your first Sunday or you are not familiar with these kind of things, I know that this sounds like a sci fi movie. All these people being vanishing, being taken, snatched up into the air. But here's the thing this is not new in the Bible. Jesus referenced the surprise of the flood, Jesus referenced the flood. There was also, you had a guy named Enoch, who really loved hanging out with God. And one day, he just stopped being here and started being there. He vanished on this earth, is with God. Another guy was a a guy named Elijah, a prophet of God. He he loved God too. He and God had a very open relationship. You should read Elijah's story in 1 Kings. Elijah did not mind complaining to God. And uh, anyway, another, another, another sermon there that I think I've already preached. But anyway, so one day he goes out, he knows God's coming. A fiery chariot separates him from his uh, companion and the person he was mentoring, Elisha. And then he gets taken up in a whirlwind. Apparently it was in Spiro, Oklahoma. Um, anyway, and then Jesus, when he ascended, he rode up on a cloud. So people leaving this life... And through a supernatural means, it's not new to Scripture. And so you need to know that even though this might sound a little weird to you, it's outside what you're comfortable with, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. There are a lot of things that are weird to you that are true and that are real. And so you just need to know that there's a supernatural reality where Jesus Christ is coming to snatch up all the believers. And when that happens, things are going to change. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. I kind of wish that said skinny, but that's another Michael thing. 
We will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the last trump, for when the trumpet sounds, those who've died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will be transformed. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And one more scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, which we just read. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we'll be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. I want you to see that the imminence of Christ's return, the certain hope of Christ's return, is for us to encourage each other with. That's why the early church said the word Maranatha. They wanted people to know Jesus is coming back. He's coming to gather us to Him. And so I know that this life is filled with pain and suffering and loss and grief. But here's what you need to know. All of that pain, suffering, and grief has an expiration date. It comes to an end. And that's something we need to encourage each other with. One day Jesus returns and all of our pain, all of our sorrow, all of our losses are over. Unless you don't trust Him, And then all of that begins in a way that you could never have imagined. Which is the serious part. Which is why we must hang on to the imminent reality that Jesus Christ is coming back. See, one of the things that I think makes this a challenging message in our world, in the Western world, in in, in America is how comfortable we have it. And I know some of you are going, well, it really hasn't been that comfortable over the last year. You roll the the clock back 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, uh, you know, it wasn't nearly as comfortable uh, then as it is now. I remember in the mid-90s, I took a mission trip with a friend to Mexico, and I'll tell you a little bit about the story in a few weeks when we talk about missions. But um, we... It amazed me in the mid-90s how that in Mexico, they were living like it was the you know, late 30s, early 40s in the United States. You know, we, we struggle about whether or not we have a retirement. We, they call them, what, first world problems? Oh man, my internet's down. I posted something dumb on Facebook. I'll never get rid of that. First world problems. There, there are people that live their entire lives in garbage dumps in other countries trying to, to, to salvage enough trash out of landfills to survive. There, there are people who, who are uh, selling their bodies just to eat. And I, as horrible as that sounds, you begin to come to some people who are in those kind of suffering and you share the message, Jesus died for you, God loves you, and He's coming back for you. He wants to take you to a wonderful home. He has a place for you. A place for you. To people who live in a world that doesn't seem like there's any place for. See what I'm saying? How much hope there is to this? So no matter what the future brings, no matter what you think your problems are, man, we have to wrap our heads around the reality that Jesus is coming back and taking us to Father God. We have a place prepared for us. You may never fit in here. That's okay. 
You don't need to fit in here. There's a place for you in Papa's house. Does that make sense? And we can encourage each other with those kinds of words when we get down, when we suffer with depression. I mean, I don't know about you, but I I love the idea of going home. And that's home. Here is kind of like a camping trip. Granted, I have a really nice tent right now, but that's a different thing. Another story and an amazing testimony for another day. But here's a camping trip, and that is our place. And and I can't wait to get there. Every year, I know more and more people who are home. Every year older I get, I can list more and more names of people that are already home. Some of them I got to share the gospel with, and they came to faith. And, and I had a small part in making sure they had a home to get to. And there's a reunion day coming. There is a family reunion party that's going to happen. Jesus is going to go pick us all up. And he's going to bring us in. And there's going to be the biggest feast you ever saw. And no one's going to be worried about their weight. Like we have been for the last three months. Not really. No, we haven't. <clears throat> Or last year. I don't know who said the quarantine 15, but they were way underestimating. (laughs) Way. He's going to pick us up, bring us home, and the family will be together. You know another old hymn I used to love? The family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We get together, and what's going to be great is there's going to be people we've never met from different eras of history. But we'll know them. Because we're family. We have the faith of Christ in our veins, man. And we're going to come together and we are going to be reunited with our Father and with each other. That's the reunion that's coming. That's the hope. That's the hope. Not being able to live comfortably but being able to get the entire family together. Boy, I'm, all these hymns are rolling through my head. Will the circle be unbroken? That actually might have been a Southern Gospel song. Just these ideas of the family coming together and God bringing them there. I mean, that's exciting, but also getting, getting there and God is there. I wish I could remember the guy's name as a preacher and I've read a few of his books, but he, he talked about when he gets to heaven... He's going to celebrate the fact that the Holy Spirit's there and thank God that Jesus got him there and he's running straight to the Father's lap. Because Jesus made a way to the Father. And to think about an eternity with the one whose love dreamt up the plan of salvation. The one whose love pursued you and me. Some of you are sitting here today thinking life is terrible and you're trying to endure another church service and you don't realize that you're only here because there's this radical, passionate love of God pursuing you. Who is crazy about you and wants to bring you into the family that you could never have here. And so there's this reunion day that we come together and we spend eternity with God. So how then should we live? We need to live with an expectation that Christ could return at any moment. To use a big fancy word, on the eschatological time clock, 
on the end times clock, nothing remains to be accomplished for Jesus to return. We're not waiting on anything. He could show up any moment, and by the way, it's been that way for a very long time. He could show up. Christ is going to return. So how then should we live? Should we live with this escape mentality? Oh, Jesus, just come suck us out of this mess. A lot of people think so, but I don't. I think while we're here, we need to use every day to make sure that the family reunion is as large as possible. That as many people that can be saved will be saved because that's the Father's heart. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But He doesn't override anyone's decisions either. And so if He's going to give you many opportunities most likely in this life to encounter His grace. And, 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 and some will receive that grace and some will live in that grace. And then others will reject it. And He won't make you. Choose it. And I know there's some uh, election principles there which I'd be happy to discuss with you sometime, but they're not in our purview today. My point is simply this. Don't waste today. Don't leave words unsaid. There are people in your, your family, people you love, people that need Christ, that need hope, and it's our task and our calling to share with them encouragement. You see, you see that theme throughout the early church. They encouraged each other. And it wasn't empty encouragement either. Like, everything will just turn out okay. I don't know how, but I know it will. <laughs> Give them some full encouragement. Jesus is in this with you. And you may suffer with Him, but that is only temporary. Because He's coming back and the suffering ends. This pain has an expiration date. It will pass. That's encouragement. I don't have to give you cliches when I can give you Jesus. Don't leave hope unshared. People need to know that there is a way to heaven. I had the most interesting and wonderful conversation this week with a, a young person, a teenager. It was by text because this is 2021, uh, and that was 2020, so it was last year, I guess. And I tell you what I love, I know this may sound crazy, but I love it when people are struggling with God's Word. I do. You know why? Because it means they're reading it. People that don't struggle with God's Word, a lot of times their Bible's just kind of dusty. Or they hadn't opened the app in a while. Well, however that rolls nowadays. But this person got a hold of me, and we started, we had this long text conversation. You could tell that's, I was interested, because normally my texts are one letter. K. <clears throat> He was struggling with the fact that not everyone gets to go to heaven. Struggling with the way to God. And it was so fun because I was able to just say, well, here, read this scripture. Tell me what you think. Read this scripture. What kind of thoughts does that rattle loose for you? And that's all it was. I, I, I'm not here to tell you what to think or how to think. I'm here to show you that there's a word of God and a direct link with the Holy Spirit to help you learn what you need to know. The Holy Spirit teaches us and leads us in all truth. And it was so exciting as this young girl's reading the scriptures and telling me what she thinks and comes to that conclusion that everybody has to come to. Jesus is the only way to the Father. He's the only way. And I'm so glad there's a way. 
Have you ever thought that the people who are trying to find a way that's not Jesus are really just stumbling around in the dark? They'll never know in this life if they found the way until it's too late. But when you find Jesus and you hear this guy says, hey, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. When you encounter that reality, you have found the answer you've been looking for. And I hope every one of you finds it because what I would like to say, I'd love it if Jesus dropped by on a Sunday morning to pick us all up. Of course, I'd also like to be next to a cemetery, so I'm a little bit in them. That's right. Yeah, well, that's why they used to put them by the church. So they, then they put stained glass windows in because they didn't want to know, but that's another issue. I'd like it if Jesus dropped by and when he left, we were all gone. All of us. We were all at the reunion in the Father's house. And I hope that's true for you. And I hope that all of us live our lives in such a way that we share that gift with everyone we can. We can't make everyone believe, but we can make sure that everyone has at least heard. Everyone should get a chance to at least say no. Everyone should get a chance. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would burden our hearts, fill our hearts with a, not a heaviness, Lord, but an anticipation. A, an anticipation that, yes, you're coming and we're excited and we can't wait to go home. Lord, how, Lord, how we are getting so tired of the, the evil and the hurt and the pain and the grief of this life. Lord, we, we long to go home. Like, like Paul said, I, I want to go home to be with Jesus, but it's better that I remain here. So Lord, while we're here, help us, Father, through us, share the hope of Jesus. There's forgiveness. There's restoration. There is a different way to live that is not burdened with the stress and anxiety and the pressures of this life, but rather a way to live that is free in Christ. To live for God. To live for something higher. I pray that no one leaves this place today without encountering you in that way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're about